Okay, hello again. This is the second Good Wife Seminar. Uh, my name is Leslie Wilson. Um, most of you were here for the first one. And for those of you who weren't, I hope you got to hear the first one on SoundCloud. But uh, we're going to cover some more good stuff today. Let's start by opening in prayer. Dear Father, thank you very much that you love us, that you sent your Son to die for our sins. Uh, thank you that we have fellowship in you. Um, and I thank you also that your word teaches us how you want us to be and how you want us to live, how you want us to think. I pray that you would um, teach us today, uh, bless the time, and help me to be uh, able to communicate your truth. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, today's light uh, talk, L-I-G-H-T, is um, going to start with some stories. And if you are listening on SoundCloud, uh, you need to make sure you listen all the way through because this is going to change dramatically um, partway through. And you might get the wrong impression if you don't listen all the way. Um, first story. These are new stories. And uh, one of the first one here is about rape in small towns having increased by 30% in the last five years. And the study that was done um, showed that it was because of the increase of pornography and the access, of por access to pornography. Now, there are just several things about that that you know, are kind of frightening because rape is such a horror. And pornography is such a sinful uh, thing that the Lord does not want us participating in, um, and that the percentage of increase is really beyond anything we can defend ourselves against. Um, so what it kind of makes you realize is that this whole se sex stuff is kind of threatening. Um, anyway, so that's one story. The other story that I encountered is that women's obesity is actually linked to hormones released in sexual pleasure. pleasure. And uh, gosh, that's kind of a drag, isn't it? That if you're enjoying your sex life, your chances of struggling with obesity are gonna be much higher um, because, you know, it's kind of good to be beautiful and slim and pretty that way. And it's really not so good to have your health um, what, put in jeopardy because of enjoying sex life. And uh, obesity is bad because it's just a good trend right now to be skinny like a model. Although that, some of that trend has backed off. So anyway, hot sex, what we're learning from the world here is that hot sex is bad for you. Um, <laughs> then the third story here is that children are half again like maybe 50% um, more likely to score well on standardized tests all the way through high school if they were allowed to sleep with one or both of their parents up through the age five. Okay, so what do you think of that? I mean, that's, uh, that's going to cram the quarters in your bed. And, uh, but you got to recognize that what this is saying is that the long-term good of your kids being successful has to be, you know, has to make, you have to make some sort of sacrifice for that. And it just is probably going to be your sex life. And that uh, this is also showing responsibility toward your children um, and your family values. 
And it might only cost your sex for 10 or 15 years if you have, you know, what, three, two, three kids? Or depending on how close together you have them, you could have a lot of kids in your bed with you. <laughs> so what we find that uh, here is that we need to worry about this um, morally superior position and we're going to have to deny sex, hot sex, or any sex um, because our children are so important. Now, you might wonder why are we having a sex talk in the light segment of, of the seminar here? And uh, just hang in there, it'll, it'll come clear. I want to read the passage of scripture that actually is contrary to the um, benefits that we've just wanted to deny here. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not rule over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not rule over his own body, but the wife does. Do not refuse one another, except perhaps by agreement for a season, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again, lest Satan tempt you through lack of self-control. So, the scriptures are basically saying there's no good reason other than a short time of prayer for um, denying your husband conjugal rights or having him deny you, and it has to be by agreement. Um, so these fears that could come up because of these statistics um, from the three stories um, could even make your husband be one of those fears because... He is a man, and he could be inspired by pornography if he's gotten into it at all. And he could end up being some sort of rapist, and you could end up being fat because of it. And uh, obviously, the men don't love the children as much as the women do because they really do want their sex. Um, and so you just have to realize that you're not going to let that man rule over you. You're going to do what's right and make sure your kids, you know, are... are um, going to be successful in life and let them sleep with you and etc. Anyway, you're finding out here that, that sex is probably not a good thing for you. Um, this is how fear destroys a Christian woman's joy and obedience and marriage. If you turn the page in your notes now, you're going to see that the problem with all of this is that all of those stories were made up. Evan and I made them up. Okay? None of them are true. Okay? I was confused. Oh gosh, I here last time. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing about studies that it's almost it's almost the thing that one study will prove one thing and another study will prove something entirely different. And that we shouldn't base our um, our actions in life, our choices, on scientific studies. Um, we really should go to the God's Word for knowing how to live and what's right to do. Um, so that's why I wanted those of you who are listening on SoundCloud to um, make sure you got this far because <laughs> you needed to hear that none of that was true. Um, but your emotions might line up with some of that sometimes if you're in some way not um, not wanting to have sex or even beyond that if you're just the kind of person who can cling to fears and and worry about things and try to think of ways to um, 
run your life so that you're protecting things against the possible dangers and uh, you're feeling jeopardized by um, by life and you, you might even feel like you're more feminine because of you're so jeopardized and you might think that somehow people particularly your husband but maybe other people need to serve you and help you through everything because you're just kind of weak and feminine and um, wobbly about everything. Uh, are you expecting others to serve you because of your weakness? Um, think about it. Even without fake or real news, do you write your own fictions about what you could possibly fear? Um, there are just so many things in life that we can think about the possible horrible ends. Um, I, one I remember is kids climbing trees. I remember when my kids were at that age where they were just really intrigued by getting up high in the tree. And the first thing a mom thinks is, oh my gosh, I can't let them get up there. They might fall out and then, you know, they break their neck or their back or, you know, fall on something sharp. And so consequently, I can't let my kids climb trees. Well, that's one of the best ways to make your kid a failure is if you limit them by your fears. That other, I think that other story about having them sleep in bed with you, um, uh, or, or not letting them sleep in bed with you but causing them to be a failure on tests is certainly not true. But protecting, overly protecting your children and making them fearful um, doesn't prepare them for life. <clears throat> but the real point here is you fearing. And I started thinking a lot about fear probably within the last 10 years um, because I noticed in talking to my friends, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, and so I really wanted to have some sort of godly woman figure to um, look up to and admire and emulate. And my mother-in-law was a, a godly woman. Um, so in, in talking with my friends, I've spoke about how you know I'm learning to trust God and I want to be an older godly woman and what I found is that most of the women spoke back about their mothers that they didn't want to grow up to be like their mothers and I was thinking I didn't want to grow up to be like my mother because my mother is very fearful about a lot of things and she has some other habits that come from not understanding the gospel and not knowing who God is and, but I found that it didn't even matter. A lot of Christian uh, young ladies who had Christian mothers still saw their mothers as something that they didn't want to turn out like. And this problem struck me as very odd. And, and I knew some of the mothers and thought, well, that mom is completely different from that mom. And that daughter is completely different from that daughter. But why is, why is there this common... Um, opinion about mothers and then you start thinking of how and we're all going to be growing old someday and I've got this daughter down here who's someday I mean, is she going to be in that position where she's going I do not want to turn out like my mother and if that's the case if it's just this pattern in women then how can I be the woman of God and break that pattern how can I learn what I need to learn as a woman so that I don't become that. And what I came up with is that women are fearful. And that all those qualities that the 
that the daughters weren't liking in their moms were qualities that had been built up because of fears. Um, and so what you have in your materials today is a essay that I just finished, The Beginning of Wisdom. And I started working on this last July and then I finally decided I had to push through and get it done. So I got it done last week, <laughs> about two days ago actually, <laughs> got it finished. But I had started on it quite a while ago and I'll want you to read it at some point, but not necessarily right now because we're actually going through the top. Um, without, without a doubt, we don't want to grow up to be, or we don't want to become mothers that our daughters don't want to be like, or that our daughters-in-law don't want to be like if we don't have daughters. And um, let's look at the scripture here. What does God tell you about fear? You should fear him more than anything. Luke 12, 4 says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Well, that isn't the devil. That's God. Okay? That God, once we all die, if he doesn't actually overtly kill you, um, you're going to die at some point, and then your soul's going to go one place or another, and God has the power to cast your soul into hell. That's who you should fear, and that in that fear, that's who you serve. Um, every other fear, unless it's actually face-to-face -face with something that's about to you know, threaten you, or that is threatening you, I think it's, it's a legitimate thing to be suddenly afraid, but if you're trusting God, if you know that your eternity is with Him, that fear should not be um, debilitating and completely crushing to you. Uh, but most of what women fear is out there. You can't even put your finger on it because it hasn't happened. It's, it's potential that's so fearful, fearsome. Um, so what we need to find out is how have you valued life, and there's a misprint in this, it says ordination, and I think he meant ordination. Um, how do you val value the or ordinately the things in your life? And we're going to read Matthew 6, 25. Jesus again, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Um, 
I'm going to tie in one more scripture to that, and I, it's from the Lord's Prayer, which says, Give us this day our daily bread. And I remember my father-in-law teaching, teaching on the Lord's Prayer once, and I remember he said, Do you know what that means? Give us this day our daily bread. Fresh bread every day. And it just struck me as adorable that, <laughs> that he would think about God wanting to provide, provide fresh bread rather than can we just hoard up a bunch of bread so that we have confidence that we're going to have it for several weeks. Of course, you know, at the end of it, it's either freezer burned or completely dried out and stale. So I just, I love the fact that um, Jim pointed out the Lord wants us to have fresh bread. Um, anyway, the, the point here is that this world is eventually going to kill you, and it's going to kill everyone you love, because we're all, we're all going to die. So having fears about that death are just the kind of thing that's going to keep you in a bad state spiritually if you're living by that fear, the fear that your little one might die, your husband might die, um, whomever. Yes, Stephanie? I just wanted to add the passage, perfect love casts out fear. Yes. Yeah. I thought of that one at one point, but didn't put it in. Yeah. Perfect love casts out fear. So if you're loving God perfectly, which means you're obeying him, living the way he wants you to live, then you have far less reason to be fear, um, and therefore fear is cast away. Um, so it's, it's a cold, hard truth. Um, there's nothing comforting in the fact that we're going to die other than if we know the Lord, we're going to go to heaven. So uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing to consider. That's, that's where we're going to end up, and it's going to be way better than what we have here. One more scripture, and then I'm going to go through some of the parts in my essay. But what are we to do with fear? We're supposed to, in Philippians 4, 6, it says, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, if you find yourself anxious about something, fearful about something, worrying, you need to confess it. Well, initially, if you find yourself being tempted to be anxious or fearful or worrying, resist the temptation. That's the first step. Having the thought cross your mind isn't the sin. Clinging to it and dwelling on it and building this little story of all the horrible things that are going to happen because you've suddenly thought of something that might happen, that's where the sin comes in. And when you start doing that, then you have to recognize it and confess it and be thankful. Bring your needs, your requests to God with thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for that if you could just start making a list mentally or in your prayers when you're in that state of I'm tempted to be afraid about this or that, the bills, um, the illness my child has, um, the accident my husband's going to get into, when he's driving to Spokane or wherever, you need to start thanking God for what he's done, for what he has given you already, um, and what he will give you. Why do you think it's going to all end now? 
Well, I mean, it might. He might kill you right now. <laughs> then, if you know him, that's fine. Um, courage exists when a responsibility demands that we exist in the arena that fear insists upon visiting. You can't be, you can't be courageous if there isn't something out there that possibly could go wrong, could possibly threaten your uh, wonderful life that you've built up. And we in America have got all so much more um, possibility for ease and comfort and well-being than most of the world. And yet we probably live in more fear than most of the world. Um, you can't be courageous unless there are po there's the possibility of fear. To get the courage, you must first repent and confess the fear as sin. There's no wisdom and no peace without the correctly placed fear, which is placed on God. Um, there's a few things in this uh, essay. On page three, the third, third paragraph in says, The big category for fear is the future. It's out there just waiting to happen. And we don't know what is going to happen, but we know that it could be bad. <laughs> when we think about the future, we can write a dreadful story full of sickness and disease, accidents and early death, which then bring on financial collapse and ruin, along with loss of all our friends, just like Job. So the future could also bring trouble in your marriage with adultery and divorce. And we, could, we fear that. We fear it for our family. And we look around us for something and someone to help us prevent all these horrible bad things that might happen. We want to build some sort of major wall around us so that nothing happens. Now, I don't know how women in the past dealt with it, but because our society has responded so much to fear and people are making money off of fear, insurance companies make money off of fear, um, what else? anti-aging products uh, the, the, the companies who make all that are making money off of our fear of getting wrinkly and old extended warranties oh, yeah it's oh, no. a good one extended warranties <laughs> pay more for that vacuum cleaner <laughs> than you then you have to because it might break down and it might be really expensive to fix so yeah there's just so many things that are telling you that's well Vaccinations, you're right. They are. Um, it's like odds. What are the odds? Yeah. It's all playing odds. Yeah. There are all kinds of things out there that are telling you to be afraid, but if you do this, you won't have to worry. Where the Lord tells us, don't worry. He's providing for you. Um, and there's all this scientific research, you know, that bolsters up why we should do or shouldn't do this or that. Um, and if you're in that position where you can't get all that insurance, your, your only resort is to be afraid. Uh, exercise, there's another one. You gotta get out there and get your cardiovascular system running because if not, you're probably gonna die early. Or if you don't die early, you're not going to be able to do anything when you're old. You're just going to be trapped in a chair, trapped in a bed, and that's just horrible. you got to get out and exercise. Um, and you make sure you keep up on what's the current trend in exercise because it does change all the time. In fact, it used to be jogging, and then everybody's knees started going bad, and so then it was walking, and 
power walking, and then they thought, well, actually, the bones aren't getting enough um, building. Yeah, so we need to do make sure we do weights now too, so that we don't get osteoporosis when we're older. I'm, I mean, do you see it? Is it just ridiculous? Everything out there that's telling you you've got to worry, you've got to be afraid. Um, it's so contrary to what the Lord tells us. Um, the problem is, on page four I wrote in this paragraph, it's all about this world. It's, it's, it's completely focused on this world rather than on the kingdom of heaven. Um, a woman who's running her life based on these kinds of fears is not a peaceful, joyful person. She's caught up in the cares of this world rather than living in a way that pleases the Lord, even if she's calling herself a Christian. There are Christian programs out there that will get you involved in all of these things. And you think somehow it's better, it's more godly, because Christians designed it. And I just want to say, they shouldn't be pushing fear on you. Um, they should be pushing you to trust the Lord. Um, you need to face it. This world will eventually kill you and everyone you love. I already said that, but... Um, doesn't it bears repeating <laughs> and I hope you can also see how legitimate all these fears seem since you've probably succumbed to them many of them in your own life and there's again the better choice is to live in a way that is faithful to God and fruitful not fretful and fearful lots of f-words there and uh, those are good f-words well two of them are um, Let's see, I had in, in my essay here, there are several little um, proverb and psalm scriptures that talk about the fear of the Lord. Um, oh, there's one more. The First Peter passage, which I know we read it last week, or last month, but it's First Peter 3, 1 through 6. It's on page 7 of the, of the um, Beginning of Wisdom booklet there. It says, Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives when they see your reverent and chaste behavior. Uh, let not yours be the outward adorning with braiding of hair, decoration of gold, and wearing of fine clothing, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable jewel of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Remember that part, gentle and quiet spirit. So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are now her children if you do right and let nothing terrify you. Okay, so even there we're being instructed to not be afraid. I would say that the key points of that scripture are that your adornment is not in your physical not saying you can't adorn the physical, but that's not the important place. Um, it's being reverent and chaste and gentle and quiet spirit. The other um, important point in this uh, scripture passage is submission to husband. And the last one is not being afraid. So, that, Yes, Stephanie. I just want to say one thing. Um, when I I'd always thought of gentle and quiet spirit as quiet and but I I had a period of time when I was really anxious and fretful and I realized that the gentle and quiet spirit is a a spirit of peace a spirit that's not all wound up mm -hmm. in fretfulness and 
So I don't know. I just yeah. I I remember Jim, my father-in-law, talk, talking to me about counseling a particular um, woman, and he somehow this passage came up, and she said, "I have a gentle and quiet spirit," and he said, "No, you don't." He said, "You have a gentle and quiet personality," <laughs> but underneath that gentle and quiet exterior was a lot of um, animosity and uh, turmoil, um, but it was mostly like a toward other people. She could fake being gentle and quiet, but inside she was not that at all. Uh, and I, I just thought that was, was a great comeback. So um, I also wanted to say that the gentle and quiet spirit is incompatible with a spirit of fear. If you are thinking about all those things, writing that horrible future that's going to happen, and thinking about that, you're not gentle and quiet in your spirit. Um, when a woman lives, when a woman lives, lives according to fears, <clears throat> she is essentially submitting to the fears. Consequently, submission to husband and God will likely not be present. Okay, um, it seems like a terrible thing to have ruling over you. Um, something that doesn't even have a mind, which is your fears. The only mind in it is is your, um, what you call it, your creativity in how awful you can imagine your future. Um, don't submit to that. Submit to God and submit to husband. Um, then I have on pages 8 and 9, what time is it? Oh, let's read through these. I've got time. Uh, Deuteronomy. 10:12 And now Israel what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways to love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul Joshua 24:14 Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord 1 Samuel 12:24 Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. That's a key one. Job 28, 28, And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Psalm 19, 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. I have a note on the other page, right at the bottom, page 9. These are the things you're supposed to get out of this, those scriptures. But the last one, number 4, there, or the last one on that page, Mm. says that the fear of the Lord, it is clean and lasts forever. Can you think of anything else that will stay clean? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, That just really struck me as someone who's had a lot of cleaning to do in my life. That the fear of the Lord is clean and it will stay clean. Mm. Um, then we have uh, Psalm 39, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no want. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the famous one, I think. A good understanding have all those who practice it. His praise, his praise endures forever. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3.7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Actually, that's the real famous one. 
but the other one is so close. Uh, then we have Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. So all of that other fear that you're trying to build up, you know, protections to preserve your life, mm. fear of the Lord pro prolongs life. Mm. Do you have a study to back that up? Do I have a study? <laughs> no, I haven't, but that would be good. <laughs> Jim Wilson. Jim and Bessie, Bessie. Wilson. <laughs> Uh, Bessie died at 91. She was not quite 92. Oh, really? Yeah. She actually it was just shortly after she turned 91. Yeah. Um, and Jim is now 86. Yeah, 86. <clears throat> and most so. of most of his brothers died at what? 50, 60. Mm, 65. 67. 67. That's 67. what it is. Yeah. yeah. Most of his brothers died at. 67 and his father. So anyway, not that that's, that's not a valid study. <laughs> I like that, Betsy. Uh, where were we? We have a couple more here. Um, Proverbs 14, 26 through 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs fifteen sixteen better is a little fear a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. I love that one. It's better to be poor and fear the Lord than to be wealthy, have a lot of treasure and have a lot of trouble with it. Uh, Proverbs nineteen twenty three the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Um, Again, you're still going to die. Don't want to make. I don't want. I don't want anyone to be unclear on that. Um, last couple things I want to say here on this talk about fear is if you could examine. Well, let's go back to the the questions. Why don't women who have Christian mothers admire them? If you could examine each of the mothers who are not admired, you would doubtless find a foundational fear rather than a faith in Christ to replace that fear, and that that fear has brought out some other behavior or, or trait that's annoying or ungodly. Um, but uh, another question that I'd ask myself at the beginning when I, in this essay, when you read it, is what is it about women that is so naturally difficult and unappe unappealing? Um, although there certainly are appealing qualities in women, you know, that, that ability to be tender and loving to children and you know we were made to be nurturing and um, we were given these this more emotional nature for a good purpose and that's that's wonderful I don't want to downplay the emotional aspect of women um, but I know that the emotional part can get out of control and that's when it becomes unappealing um, and I think it often is based in fear when the emotions get out of control. Sometimes it's based in a self-serving, but sometimes even if you examine the self-serving, underneath that there's some fear that is pushing the self-serving um, behavior forward. Uh, another question that I'd had is, is it is this part, meaning the fear, is this part of what makes men so frustrated with women and unable to understand them or deal with them? And I say, yes, it is. 
um, and I thought about comedians, how the idea of the differences between men and women, which is constantly a frustration to both, unless they're really trying to understand or just really trying to be godly, really putting godliness as the priority, unlike little Lewis back there. <laughs> you can't hear on the tape what little Lewis just did. <laughs> um, but it's a theme for comedians. And it's that women, that men don't understand women because they're irrational and irrationally fearful. And the comedian can make it really funny. But in real life, it's um, evil. Um, it's evil when women behave that way. Uh, the last question I had had about it was, am I the kind of mother that my daughter would not want to be like? And am I difficult and frustrating to my husband? And I would say, regarding my husband, yes, there have been times when I have been difficult and frustrating to him. And I know that most of that was early in my marriage when I was in the process of figuring out um, how, how the Christian life really runs. That it's not the American way uh, with insurance and uh, making sure you got a nice big bank account so that you feel confident and safe. But it's fearing the Lord and it's trusting the Lord. It's believing Him believing his word and and looking to his word to find out what what he wants of us um, if you do end up asking your husband this um, you better be willing to accept what he says don't be don't be asking him and then being offended by the answer um, if you have a daughter and she's at that age where she you might want to know whether she um, wants to be like you or not Take the risk and ask her. Um, I did that with my daughter, and she had a few things to say uh, that weren't weren't things I wanted to hear. But it's well worth asking because you want to eliminate those things from your character, from your tendencies and your habits um, that keep you from being a godly example. Um, this world is passing away, but the word of the Lord is forever. If you've come to realize that such fear is evil, the fears that we've been talking about, wrong and disobedient, confess it as sin. It is not sensitivity. It is not femininity. It is not that you are a delicate flower. But it's sin. It's sin for which Christ died, though. And you can be forgiven. And then if you do it again, confess it again as often as you fear. That's the end of the first talk.